Today we have a uh, NBA Finals Game 2 recap. The Vernon Verdict is a ho- uh, podcast hosted by LSU student Jacob Vernon where we're going to cover all things LSU sports, NBA, NFL, and pretty much UFC as well. Um, going more into the NBA Finals, Game 2, first half was pretty close. Um, I think the Celtics were only outscored by the Warriors by one in both quarters. Uh, but... Steve Kerr made some clutch second-half adjustments, and they came out there firing on all cylinders in the third quarter. In the third quarter, the Warriors outscored the Celtics 35-14, to which was very impressive in my book. Uh, a couple things stood out to me, first being that Al Hortford had two points as well as Marcus Smart had two points. In Game 1, you see Marcus Smart get active early, and that was a key catalyst for why the Celtics were able to steal one on the road, especially Game 1, which is huge. Um, the Celtics had more turnovers, more fouls, and a lesser field goal percentage, which is going to be a big problem for Boston. You know, they're going to have to be efficient on offense, and you cannot be inconsistent against the Warriors, especially multiple times. Uh, I'd argue that the Celtics were inconsistent throughout the first half, pretty much towards the end of the first quarter. Um, but more towards the end of the game, it kind of seemed to fall off. You had guys firing on all cylinders Jordan Poole shot five for nine from three. Steph Curry had another impressive performance. Uh, Clay's, you know, he's hitting here and there. They're not as he's not as consistent as he normally is this series. And I'm gonna I'm gonna give him the benefit of the doubt just for the simple fact that he's coming off of a big injury uh, that could probably play a big role in it. Another person that kind of stood out to me as you know being on and off is Jason Tatum. Jason Tatum last night was on, but in game one he was off, off and scoring at least. But then when you look at the playmaking side of things, Jason Tatum did pretty well and he had 13 assists, but going towards this game, he didn't even break five assists, but he breaks almost 30 points. So with that being said, Jason Tatum, you know, getting active early on the rock, distributing it and whatnot, getting his guys fired up, that might have been very helpful towards Marcus Smart getting close to that 20-point margin. And we all know, like we said in, in the Game 1 reaction, when Marcus Smart scores 20 points in the playoffs, the Celtics are 5-0. and It's almost impossible to stop Boston when they're perfect on offense and perfect on defense because the Warriors just can't do what the Celtics can do on defense. The Celtics can get in the Warriors' way, body them around, push them around, you know, get the hand check and get some weight on them. They're bigger than these guys. The Warriors' main problem has always been that they're small, and they run the small ball scheme. And <clears throat> while it works because they have great shooters and great offensive efficiency, like we saw in the third quarter, uh, in the last two games, honestly, because the f- game one, they outscored their ga- uh, game two third quarter performance by three points. It's just that Boston answered back in the fourth. They weren't able to do that here. Um, their inconsistency is showing, Boston. Um, going back towards Boston, though, with this series, we had to have game three and four live in Boston. I think, you know, it's a tough environment, but looking at the Boston Celtics playoff record in the NBA playoff, look at the Boston Celtics home playoff record specifically, they're 5-4. and four. Uh, They're floating around 500, and it seems like the Celtics play best when all odds are stacked against them. Right here, though, um, I would be willing to consider that the case because they just got murked in Game 2. They were doing pretty well in game one and they showed some potential like man maybe Boston can really compete in the series but you know now that we're you've seen their game two performance we know that it's still the same Boston Celtics that were playing the Miami Heat or what have you um I think a big role a big role Jason Tatum's gonna have to fill is you know getting comfortable with the fact that he's the best player on the team getting comfortable with the fact that they're gonna look for him to create offense to score the ball to get the ball in transition to get the ball in the hands of their other scores he's gonna have to be their facilitator 
moving towards the Warriors, their facilitator is Draymond Green, and he's arguably the best one at it. Draymond's value as a tough guy is just insane. Um, Draymond Green reminds me of like, I mean, look, you got several guys that do this today in the NBA. You got the Timberwolves with Patrick Beverly. You got the Heat having Jimmy Butler. But I don't think anyone in the NBA can do what Draymond Green does. Draymond Green is tough. He's gritty. He's going to annoy you the whole night. He's going to talk trash to you. He's going to go go after those 50-50 balls. He's going to give you hustle, and he's just going to completely throw his heart out all there on the, on the court. It's not Draymond Green scoring 50 points a game. That's not his play style. His play style is... He wants to go out there and impact the game in several ways. I've looked for Draymond to, you know, get active on the offensive side a little more because, I mean, he'll he'll score four to eight points, and that's a little unnecessary for me. I feel like if they could get Draymond to get into around the 15 to 20 point per game range, the Warriors would win this series with flying colors. Uh, looks like that's impossible as Draymond Green's getting to the later stages of his career. So now, like we were saying, he was getting back more towards that tough guy role. Uh, he's like a Dennis Rodman, so to speak. He's getting in there and he's just uh, he's putting muscle on people. He's going out there. He's doing whatever it takes to put his team in a situation to win or to put him in a situation to get get the ball or get his teammates the ball, whether it be a screen for Steph Curry or just any type of offensive motion in general. Um, he takes a brunt end of things, honestly. It's like that. that's the one person that you don't want to see on the other end of the court when you're the Boston Celtics. You don't want to go through a seven-game series having to guard Draymond Green or having to put Draymond Green in his place or having to take him out of the out of the equation. It's just almost impossible. Game three with the Celtics, I would think they were going to come out victorious and grab the 2-1 lead. I wouldn't be surprised, though, for game four, Golden State to answer right back, tie the series, heading back to San Francisco. But... Like I said earlier, Boston and their underdog status, it seems like when they're able to have their backs against the wall, that's when they play at their best. Uh, a lot of young teams, you know, kind of fall into that trap of not answering quickly or not, you know, reacting in a way they should have. And the Golden State Warriors aren't young. They're not inexperienced. They've been here before. The Golden State Warriors' biggest problem is they just get uh, a little too comfortable or a little too confident, and they kind of let things get ahead of them or whatnot. Uh, Jordan Poole was out there. Doing ridiculous things. I mean, in the third quarter, made this miraculous shot that almost shouldn't have even gone in. He's putting someone on a little crossover right here, pulls it from the logo before the third quarter buzzer and sinks it. Him and Steph Curry just can't even believe it. It's like whatever they throw up at this point is going to go down. Uh, the crowd's definitely going to get hyped there after that one. And then what a just a complete dagger to the heart. I think the Celtics were down 20 points after that. That's That almost sealed the deal right there. The Celtics were outscored in the first three quarters. They were almost outscored in the fourth quarter as well. That's a complete show of dominance. Uh, it's hard to blow out Boston like that because Boston's going to strangle you and get you exhausted and not put you in that situation to stack up points quickly. But the Golden State Warriors are a different breed. Once again, the Golden State Warriors, in my opinion, are like a buzzsaw. When you run into them, they're going to shred you. When they're at their best, when they're performing efficiently, I don't think Golden State has been at their best yet, but you can say the same thing for Boston because game one, Jason Tatum's off, game two, he's on. But also in game two, now you got Jalen Brown off, and then you got Al Horford off. It's like the, the game of basketball fluctuates. Not everyone's going to perform at their best at all times. It's really just about who's going to be able to handle what's thrown at them the most. I think that the Warriors have the most experience and just overall the better scheme to complement them winning a seven-game series. 
Um, yeah, they're smaller. Yeah, Boston's playing tougher defense. Boston's younger. They might not know what to do when the situation gets rough. Plus, yeah, they got experience and they got momentum. But at the same time, I wouldn't want someone going into three deep series back to back to back. Someone at least that I'm expecting to win. I wouldn't be comfortable with it. I got Warriors in seven. I was thinking, you know, six at first. But this does look like a gritty back and forth series. So I'm going to go ahead and uh, go ahead and think the Warriors can close this one out. You know, the fact that they'll be able to close it out at home will be huge for them. Uh, but in, in, in NFL news, the Denver Broncos were bought out by Walmart heir Rob Walton. He's the eldest son of Sam Walton, and this will be the uh, most expensive sale of a sports team, almost double what the record was in the NFL previously. I believe it was the Carolina Panthers for around $2.5 billion. This one's $4.5 billion he bought the Denver Broncos for. What a perfect time to buy them. Seems like they uh, haven't had this big of a chance to win since they've, they got Peyton Manning. Um, Russell Wilson's going there. Jerry Judy's getting cleared of all that nonsense, so he won't be suspended, hopefully. But um, it's looking it's looking good for Denver. They got a tough division they're going to be in. They're going to play against the Chargers, the Raiders, the Chiefs. And, you know, I wouldn't expect that to go over too well in terms of like, yeah, they're not going to go walk in here and dominate everyone, but they can bust in there as a wild card in their first year together. Um, <clears throat> segwaying into NFL football a little deeper, I seen an article on Bleacher Report saying that you know, they were given the top eight NFL letdown list and just pretty much seeing who they thought would let people down and who's not going to live up to their hype of the trade and whatever case may be. Out of those eight players, five of them are wide receivers, which is interesting to me because it is the most controversial position in terms of uh, them being divas and them having, you know, they do have a vital part of the offense. Yeah, the quarterback can throw the ball well, but if he doesn't have anyone to catch it, it doesn't matter. So wide receiver is equally as important to, uh, as a quarterback in some instances. But they had Tyreek Hill on that list, and that's understood because of the Tua Viola controversy, and that's nothing against him. But they did have someone on there that I believed shouldn't have been on there. Hollywood Brown was on that disappointing letdown list. Uh, they were pretty much saying that, you know, since he's not that much better than Christian Kirk and the Cardinals losing Christian Kirk is still a big blow, they're not going to be able to uh, recover and the fact that DeAndre Hopkins is going to be suspended because of the performance-enhancing drug use, it, they're saying, I mean, look, I think that gives Hollywood Brown ample opportunity now, though. He has really nobody to compete with. It's, he's going out there, and he's getting his wide receiver one reps early with Kyler Murray. Kyler Murray's talented, and these guys, they could definitely string some things together and put put some things on all positions. Um the Dolphins, speaking more about them, they got Chase Edmonds from the Cardinals. So there's a lot of things going on in Arizona that is controversial, so to speak. So it's perfect that they're going to be the Hard Knocks team in season. You got a J.J. Watts recovery that we're going to zoom into. You got Christian Kirk leaving the team that we're going to zoom into. You can even zoom into the DeAndre Hopkins six-game suspension scandal. You can kind of just see the reaction on that and just how the Cardinals are bouncing back from it when he returns and whatnot. Speaking of Hollywood Brown, see how he adjusts to it and whatnot. Um, I don't think it'll be a walk in the park for the Cardinals. It'll be a very good in-depth look. It'll give us some like last dance footage, so to speak, like a Michael Jordan documentary. Give us some good, like nice and close, uh, an in-close look on an NFL team who's honestly probably going to be struggling, in my opinion. Their first six games are rough. They're going to play the Kansas City Chiefs, Las Vegas Raiders, Los Angeles Rams. They're going to go ahead and go to play Carolina Panthers, Philadelphia Eagles, and then Seattle. I got them starting two and four. 
they're definitely going to start 0-3. They're losing to the Chiefs, the Raiders, and the Rams. You got, you're got you crazy if you think the Cardinals are going to come out here. Look, the only game they can have out of those three is the Chiefs, just for the simple fact that the Chiefs are going to be adjusting to not having Tyreek Hill. Patrick and Juju might not be firing on all cylinders yet. I, I really do believe, though, that the Chiefs can go ahead and string some things together. They still got Michael Hartman. They still got Clyde Edwards. They still got a lot of people that they can incorporate in that offense. And Patrick Mahomes is still Patrick Mahomes. You got Kyler Murray, who was a little banged up towards the end of the year. You got that Cardinals defense that's a little different, especially with J.J. Watt coming off an injury, if he can even play in this week one. You got D-Hop not going to be there. You don't got your running back one you had last year. And then, like we were saying, Hollywood Brown might not adjust. And if he doesn't adjust... A week one matchup against one of the best teams in the AFC. It's not the ideal situation for the Arizona Cardinals. Uh, it'll be good. That'll be captured on hard knocks. But I think that they're going to be upset week one. Week two, they're going to play the Las Vegas Raiders. With Devontae Adams and Derek Hart, there's no telling what that's going to be. I'm going to go ahead and assume it could be dangerous, especially by week two. They got that first little hiccup out the way. The Raiders are still the Raiders, and they got a lot of talent. In that, in that team, they got a lot of talent in that roster, and they just added a bit of it. Can Derek Carr help Devontae produce as good as Devontae was producing at Green Bay? That's yet to be seen. You don't know. But I'm not thinking that Devontae Adams is going to be a completely different wide receiver. He's still going to succeed, and he's still probably going to help the Raiders knock off the Cardinals in Week 2. Moving to the Rams, that's insane. No shot. This is always a competitive game. Yeah, they're in the same division, and these guys are going to play each other multiple times. I think that this week three meeting, it will be taken by the defending Super Bowl champs. The Rams are firing in all cylinders, and there's nothing different about this team that would make me think, oh, they might not be able to handle this or this or whatever the case may be. I don't think there's anything the Cardinals can throw at them that they're not ready for. I think that the Cardinals are going to go start off 0-3. They'll go to Carolina, and they'll get their, their first W because Carolina's a rough team. That NFC South is rough in general. There's only one team that I'm expecting to win that, and that's the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. The Saints won't have a shot at winning that division, especially with the rumors of, you know, Kamara getting a four to six game suspension and even the fact that Jameis Winston is one not a reliable option and two not even the healthiest option so the Saints are going to have to look at uh, a lot of their their potential free agent quarterbacks or even a quarterback to trade I would consider a Baker Mayfield or a Jimmy Garoppolo trade just for the simple fact that with Baker Mayfield yeah things didn't go right but New Orleans you really don't have anything left to choose from if Jameis Winston isn't healthy and he's showing signs of wear and tear I would pull the trigger and I would try to bring James to, or I would try to bring James's replacement to New Orleans. If you're the Saints, you need to consider getting Baker Mayfield because Baker Mayfield could be the answer to your questions. Baker Mayfield could have been a problem in Cleveland, or Cleveland could have been the problem for Baker. Either way, he's out of that situation and he's in a new one with a more talented team. Try it out. The Saints take shots all the time. They took a shot on Taysom Hill. They even took a shot on Drew Brees coming out of San Diego. Drew Brees wasn't winning in San Diego. Drew Brees arguably had the same numbers as Baker Mayfield. Baker Mayfield could be the next star. For his, you know, in his perspective, he thinks he's still performing at the highest or he still has the ability to. That confidence, I think, the fact that he didn't lose it yet, can still, you know, have him be molded into a great player. The Saints are in a transitioning stage. I wouldn't think that the fans are expecting them to win now. I don't expect them to win now in terms of the division. They could slip in there as a wild card maybe, but this could be their year to, you know, not going to say rebuild i'm not expecting a tank or whatnot they can definitely slip around 500 but this is their year to figure some things out it's your first year with this coach 
and you're going towards a new scheme. You got Michael Thomas back. You're going to have to have him adjust. Kamara's going to get plopped in there halfway throughout the year. Jameis is going to be walking on a limp leg for probably the majority of the year. Hopefully he doesn't even get hurt again. And if he does, what what do the Saints do from there? I wouldn't... I wouldn't think Taysom Hill would even be an option going forward. I think that the New Orleans Saints, uh, they're going to have a pretty easy situation in front of them when Baker Mayfield gets put on that trade block, even more so than he already is. It's not going to be much. The contract would be one of the only issues, but, I mean, look, in today's NFL, you can manipulate contracts. You can move some stuff around, move some money around. If Baker Mayfield really wants to win and he really wants to be put in a good situation, He'd make it work with New Orleans. Uh, New Orleans needed a quarterback. If you know, if you would have told me two months ago New Orleans was signing Baker Mayfield, I probably would have been like, "Well, you know what? They might have a shot at the division." I don't think I would write off Baker yet. I'm not saying he's even much better than Jameis. They're both arguably hard to trust. It's just a simple fact that Jameis might not be healthy. So what do you do from there? Do you take the shot when Jameis is healthy? Healthy? Hmm. I don't know. Jimmy Garoppolo. You know, that's a whole different can of worms. Jimmy Garoppolo is a little bit older. And Jimmy Garoppolo had talent. As of last year, he had Debo Samuel, who was one of the craziest combination positions in the NFL. Didn't work with that. They're moving towards the Trey Lance era, so I, w- I wouldn't hop on that Jimmy Garoppolo bus. Jimmy Garoppolo left New England thinking, you know, he'd be a Super Bowl-winning quarterback, but the only rings that he's gotten are the ones that he had as a backup. He's lost his Super Bowl appearance. Um, the, the road's looking real thin for Jimmy Garoppolo. He's probably going to go on and take the torch from Ryan Fitzpatrick who just declared that he's retiring after pretty much playing for every single team in the NFL at this point if you had a jersey like those guys in the NFL draft all the Fitzmagic jerseys you you would fill up an entire closet that dude played for just about every single team in the league uh, with the NBA Finals wrapping up here we're going to keep you know giving our, our, our predictions and whatnot. but you can check us out on TikTok at Verdant Verdict and even on Instagram at Verdant Verdict and we're giving I guess you could say some unique uh, pre-game predictions and even some post-game reactions. We're going to be pretty active on those socials going forward. Uh, we'll still be going live Monday and Friday. We're going to have a special guest in the studio Friday at noon. We're going to have Kylan Billiot from Terrebonne High School. He's a pretty good recruit. I mean, you, 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 you can go into both sports this kid plays. He plays basketball and football. He's got D1 offers in both. Uh, he's going to be attending an LSU football camp here soon. Great kid, friend of the show, and he's going to be giving us Pretty much a good insight on his career and just how the whole experience has been with Cortez Hankton from LSU and with them reaching out for camps and whatnot. LSU football is looking great. LSU football is uh, very promising. It seems like the general consensus around around the country, honestly, is that LSU has the potential to win 10 games. And what I'm hearing from that is LSU has the potential to crack into the top five and the top four makes it to the playoffs. So if they're in the top five, Watch out, because now LSU has a chance to make the national championship. And if that were to be the case, I don't think I could be any happier. I don't think anybody in Louisiana could be any happier. That's probably the best-case scenario for this team. These guys deserve it, and they've been working hard. Uh, they've been you know, going through an intense spring training, and they're about to transition into an intense summer training so they can prepare for this fall. I think the schedule you know, will complement LSU really well. I would see a 5-0 start first loss going to Gainesville. Um, Gainesville is normally a tough tough place to play. I think the fact that we got Bama at home, though, is going to be a, it's going to be a little exciting. That's normally the upset game. That's normally the game that throws a lot of people in the SEC off when they when they play Bama, especially when they play them in Bama. The fact that they're going to go down to Death Valley might, you know, give them the edge they need. Bryce Young's still going to be a great quarterback. It's going to be great to see him play. But at the same time, uh, th- that win right there, which is very probable, 
would be the major catalyst to push LSU into that top five conversation in the AP poll. But, you know, it, it, it's it's making me wonder, though. The main things that I would have to see from LSU would be, you know, the bigger inf- emphasis on tackling and making sure that you're getting the guys down. There was a lot of arm tackling, a lot of grabbing in the 2021 season. From the offensive side of things, just a little more cohesiveness. Looks like everyone, not everyone was on the same page in the beginning, but look, we were going almost through a quarterback battle. We had the backup quarterback as well. There was some confusion between the coaches. Uh, everything's a lot more structured now. The quarterback will hopefully be a clear-cut decision going into week one at Florida State, in Florida State, uh, playing Florida State in the Superdome, excuse me. But I think LSU almost addressed everything everything we has a problem if they can stay healthy they can go out there and keep everyone committed like it seems now i don't think there'd be any problem in the world for lsu i think that they would really just have to go out there and perform um undefeated season is is rough there were some comments on the tiktok about an undefeated season i'm not gonna go as far and say that one i think that one will be a, a miraculous thing that might not happen again but if it does, you know, I'd welcome it. Uh, once again, the TikTok and the Instagrams at Verdant Verdict. We're going to go ahead and keep being active on those, keep giving our predictions on those. We got a little break here from NBA Finals action, but I am looking forward to the next game, game three in Boston. Boston's backs against the wall. Boston is already three point favorites on FanDuel. Um, man, close series, close game. If both teams can come out firing offensively and defensively, we'd really see a back-and-forth, you know, classic NBA Finals match. But it seems like the theme in this NBA playoffs is when people fall off, they fall off hard. Um, Inconsistency is showing. Celtics are young. And the Warriors rely on a pretty tough shot to make. And it seems like they haven't been making them at the rate that they wanted to. Last night they did good, 41%. But you got guys like Jordan Poole contributing five five three-pointers out of nine attempts to that percentage. Will that happen again? I don't know. You got a lot of guys here that are streaky shooters. Even Al Horford, he's going to give you 26, 28 one night. Great three-point performance. Then he's going to go out in game two and not even attempt a free throw and go one for four from the field. So we're going to make sure that everyone's consistent, hopefully, and then we'll have a good series. But I think that Boston's going to go ahead and take this game three. I think that they're going to come out swinging. And, you know, the Warriors might not be able to transition well on the road, but they're going to go out and tie this back up more than likely in game four. We'll give uh, another... Another in-depth analysis of the NBA Finals here Friday at noon. And once again, we're going to have a great athlete, great recruit, and Kyle Billiard coming in the studio Friday at noon. Look forward to that. And more clips daily, once again, on TikTok, Instagram, Twitter, at Vernon Verdict. Make sure to like, subscribe, share, be a friend, tell a friend. Thanks for watching. And this has been the Vernon Verdict.